launch it here, it's gonna end up here, but we need this kind of weather, uh, we can only have up to this kind of mass, and we have this parachute. It was because we were truly interested in what we were doing and what, what we wanted to do and not just do something because we had to get it done. Guess what's what about to happen? <laughs> and, yeah. and yes, they're like, and then the next WhatsApp message was, we have the capsule, and they sent a picture of it. Yeah. Getting to apply what you're seeing in school in real life. It might sound exaggerating, but you do start seeing the world, the world differently through the lens of what you've learned and how that works in the world, not just in the classroom. But any school can produce an airspace program. It's just what level do they want to produce it at. Hello, welcome to our seventh episode. I'm Jose Alvarez. And I'm Corey Austin. And we are showcasing today the Near Space program. So back in May of 2018, a group of ASFM students successfully launched a data collecting capsule into Near Space. The year-long project was a beautiful mashup where pre-AP and AP physics meets project-based learning. And this is their story. My name is Rodrigo Chosal, I was part of the electronics team. My name is Eugenio Garza and I was part of the physics team. My name is Paola van der Linden and I was part of the environmental team. My name is Juan Carlos Segovia and I was also part of the environmental team. And my name is Maria Angela Alejandro and I was also part of the environmental team. And I'm Brad Rambold, I was uh, in charge of this monkey crew. I would say that the New Space program was uh, something centered around uh, having a bunch of students more or less come up with ideas that we could test um, environmental, uh, environmental experiments, for example, measuring CO2 levels or ozone or doing experiments with plants or diodes and uh, basically putting these experiments in a capsule and sending them up to well, near space to more or less see how they would play out. Near space, just for, for people like me who have no idea how... How high is that? How far are you launching this? 40 kilometers. Above sea level. That was like the balloon capacity, right? Or 30. Yeah. Is that or 40. upper mesosphere? 41 kilometers is where we ended up, yeah. Mm -hmm. Upper mesosphere or is that? Uh, top of the stratosphere. 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 Yeah. So above the troposphere and almost at the top of the stratosphere, but uh, below what's called the Kármán line. The Kármán line is at 100 kilometers, and that's where you atmosphere. go from aerodynamics to uh, aeronautics, which is slightly different. You have astronauts versus like airline pilots kind of stuff. But we were about three times higher than the average airliner. Wow. wow. Yeah. So in, a, in like one or two sentences, can you explain basically from start to finish what you did? Okay, so I'll start. <laughs> I was uh, working in the electronics team, which made sure that the computer and the sensors on board were working correctly and were communicating what they were reading and their, for example, battery levels or uh, temperature inside the capsule for the components that we were using, that they were all right and to make sure that we had the last location so we could retrieve it and that whatever experiments that we ran were running. So I think at physics we like to joke around that we made their dreams, uh, the electronics and the environmental teams are reality because we were actually in charge with like, okay, so the balloon's going to give us like X amount of lift force. If we launch it here, it's going to end up here. 
we need this kind of weather, uh, we can only have up to this kind of mass, and we have this parachute, and it's gonna like drop at this speed, and like can the capsule like resist that, or do we need to send the data beforehand because we might lose it if it crashes, and we were in charge of like all of those logistics. Including the capsule design. Yeah. And so, sewing the new parachute. Sewing the new parachute was a... Hey, well, he was a sewing master. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that sounds very physics related. Yes. <laughs> So sewing was a prerequisite for the program, <laughs> yeah. which I imagine you were, are like super good at from the bat from yeah. the game. It's not some, it's not a new skill that I you learn. It's actually one of my favorite memories was coming back at about seven o'clock at night in the STEM lab, and seeing this gentleman and another young gentleman looking over a phone, and I thought they were watching a soccer game actually, and then I realized they had a sewing machine. And they were watching YouTube videos of how to put the thread in the sewing machine. <laughs> they were learning from YouTube how to sew. <laughs> so you got into the technical aspects of the electronics, physics, and then what other team components did we have? Um, so we had the environmental team. Uh, we worked pretty closely, I would say, with electronics. Um, mostly our job was to like determine what kinds of experiments, what kind of data, like based on where we were going to launch the capsule, like what kind of data we wanted to get. So pretty early on, we said we wanted to calculate CO2 levels. Um, we also said we wanted to um, do ozone levels. Like we started like pretty much like doing a bit of research and then based on the experiments that we wanted to do, um, electronics was kind of in charge of. Um, helping us like if we needed to do circuits for like sensors and stuff like that they were in charge of like doing also like coding and helping us with that and that was mostly our job cool. and so can you give what sensors did you end up putting on it for for testing um, I believe we ended up putting a co2 sensor um, ozone sen sensor did we end up putting that no, not an ozone no. Sensor. I think we we had one but we didn't end yeah, up putting the, it. the problem with the ozone sensor was that it it required it to be warm or hot in order for it to work and at the temperatures that and the height that we were working it we had trouble making sure that we had the battery power for that to make sure that the sensor was warm and also that the temperature inside the capsule made it possible for it to get warm. So at the end, I think we had temperature sensors, humidity sensors, pressure sensors, maybe a CO2 sensor, and, uh, well, GPS, and I'm not sure if I'm missing something. Just to give us an idea, because I'm, who knows how people are picturing this, can you give us an idea of the size of like the capsule and how it got up to the near space? Just to, did, did, was it just like, the capsule was one capsule or you guys did a couple of you know Apollos in order no, to come to there were various capsule designs uh, and what we ended up with I think was like I don't know 30 centimeters by 30 centimeters sort of like a cube and like 12 centimeters I think in height but no 30 centimeters but there was 12 hollow because we wanted to like to leave everything we wanted to leave space for all the components that electronics and environmental wanted in, but the rest was uh, more solid. It ended up being, what was the name of the foam? Polyurethane. Polyurethane, yep. And, but we wanted it to have like insulation, so we wanted to make it thick around the sides and edges, but still have enough space for everything. So that was like, especially in the later parts of capital design, that balance between like mass, space, and like insulation, and because 
um, as Rodrigo was talking about earlier, one of the sensors we couldn't use because of like heat insulation and heat problems and battery and power problems. And those are one of the things we were trying to like balance towards later versions of capsule design. I think the first one we 3D printed, and then another one was an icebox after that. Mm -hmm. And then. A la purisima icebox. Maradoxo, or. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then can you tell it to talk a little bit about the. Like, I'm sure the launch day was like a big anticipation. Um, can you. Do you recall that day, or just can you take us through kind of what the day looked like? At around 8 in the morning, I think, we took a. Uh, a little send up bus or something to China near the Presa de El Cuchillo and we went to basically the shoreline there and we launched the balloon uh, including prep which took about an hour to get there or a bit more than an hour to prep more or less and then it was just waiting for the capsule to come down while we returned to the school so what was the overall time for the entire thing the whole day, maybe? The, the entire thing, including the recovery, probably the entire day. Yeah. And while, while this is happening, you, electronics, is in charge of, like, seeing that everything is working as it's supposed to? Like, are, are you informing the rest of the team? It's like, okay, we're doing within the parameters, where's the yeah. app? Or we, we had an app where you could see the last position that the capsule sent and also the different values for the sensors that we had put in. So maybe the, the, the temperature inside the capsule, the temperature outside the capsule, and also the battery level. And so everybody have their phones and be seeing what, or what the capsule was up to. But yeah, I mean, it was our job to keep everybody informed about, like, A-okay. Engineering is just like, oh no, we already launched it. We're done. We're just like... <laughs> no, we were, yeah. Um, we initially made two teams, which was a launch team and a recovery team. And I think as a team, we all decided that like, because like, we already knew, we had already, we did some trial runs, uh, test runs where like we, a tether test, where we had like the capsule, the balloon, the parachute and everything tethered. So where we tested like electronic system and where we rehearsed like, what was it gonna look like on launch day? Like, are we gonna tape it up? How are we gonna fold the balloon over like the strings? So, and we, the physics team, we, we had that pretty well rehearsed and we, we felt like we needed all team members present in order to fill up the balloon with the helium gas, in order to tie it up, hold it, and we already knew what to do. So we were like, essentials for the launch. And then we had different people, more environmental and more electronics, which electronics, I think it was only you and little Lolly uh, at the actual like launch, but in recovery, you had like everyone else at the team, right? So recovery was only I think Yon Hui. Um, no, it was well, yeah, but we, was an air recovery yeah, team. we ended up going doing a useless trip, um, because uh, Yon Hui and Kiko went in the in Kiko's helicopter, and they were trying to like supposedly they were gonna go and try to spot the capsule and they didn't think that they could land so it was me garcia and both alice we went with mr b in his um car and we were supposed to like actually take it from the ground but we were like an hour late because um kiko had already gotten there and we covered the capsule <laughs> so we had to just like <laughs> drive all the way back and then we got lost 
um, I think. We, yeah, we weren't even yeah. out of the city when we were getting WhatsApp messages from the air team. Um, <laughs> that was like they had spotted the capsule and that they could land. And it was like everybody looked at each other in the car and went, guess what's what about to happen? <laughs> yeah. And yes, they were like, and then the next WhatsApp message was, we have the capsule. And they sent a picture of it yeah. to us and so on. But we were... We were, yeah, we were, weren't even outside of the city yet, but it took us a while. Um, Marianne Hilla took us through a very interesting route um, <laughs> through, uh, through the city to, to get back. Well. And we, yeah, we celebrated at 7-Eleven since we had the capsule. So. Yeah. <laughs> Garcia loved that. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. It sounds like there's a lot of moving parts, teams capturing capsules, sending things to near space. But so I'd like to ex- explain, if you can, how this is a little bit different than your typical classes or a class that you you'd study now or before yeah in fact I wanted to I think now I get the idea of the, the the project but is this project based on a grade is this something that you guys do in classroom or something that you decided to do for your own personal learning process so I think it's a mix of uh, we wanted to learn, but we were also like really interested in like, uh, well, sending something to space and having it come back with data. I think it was like I think well I I don't think it's like equal parts. I think that part is like for all of us, and I don't know if you agree that we all wanted like to be part of a project, not for lear- not so much for learning, but just like like a sense of accomplishment that like you know we sent like a capsule to near space, brought it back with all this data, and like we made like. A contribution to like science even though it's already been done before like more data or like something here that's you know no other schools like except for Panama which was helping us uh, along the process like had done and we would I know that was really really cool yes and it wasn't for a grade so it was our own motivation that was that was leading us to like to actually accomplish this project and I think that that helped us a lot because it's it was because we were truly interested in what we were doing and what, what we wanted to do and not just do something because we had to get it done. So there was no grade, no you're standards? Using, you're using your own time for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. You were, you were going to say? Kind, yeah, it's kind of like the idea of, um, I think everyone who was in that class had taken like AP Physics 1 and like AP Physics 2 maybe. Um, was so, currently taking AP C. Yeah, or was currently taking AP Physics C. So it was kind of like getting to apply what you're seeing in school in real life, kind of. Because a lot of the things that we were doing, for example, like circuit building and stuff like that, was stuff that we had been doing as like just theory in AP Physics 2. And then getting to be in near space was actually like doing it like in real life. So I think for me, it was kind of like a rewarding experience also like academically so yeah for example at least in electronics i had the experience of well in physics you get uh, a parallel uh, circuit and then a series circuit and in class you're like oh well okay i guess (laughs) and but then when you get to actually have a case where you have to choose between both you have uh, shortcomings or benefits of using one or the other then you actually understand why you would, what that means, or why the difference exists, um, which is way more rewarding than just learning about their existence. Do you think this could be like the kind of the future of learning, or what would you like kind of school or classes to be more like this? I don't know how you can comment on that. 
I think it is the future of learning in the sense that like projects like this I think are like Rodrigo was saying like seeing the circuits like actually and like having to choose I think it just helps you like learn the material better like ap applying knowledge is always like the highest form of like showing your learning but I do think that like, it needs to be a balance between like you know actual learning and then like projects like this one and I know that some people like all of us were really interested like into AP Physics 1, AP Physics 2 which were like elective courses so I don't think it's like physics like or this format works for everyone in every subject but I think it is really nice to have like these options where like if you're like into art you have like art classes that have projects like near space or like like analogous projects like this one I think are the future. Yeah, so Henry said, I don't think that this kind of learning will ever replace the classroom. It's more of a way to go further than that, because the theory is good for you when you have no idea what uh, is out there, and it does get you interest, interested in whatever subject you want to take an interest in. So once you know that that is something that you want to learn more about and maybe even apply, then that's when you go the road of making a project like this one. You needed the skills and the theory and you got it in the classroom, but then all of you as a community decided to put it in practice and just problem solving and something that you all cared about within a very small period of time. And, and I think again, that that's a great tangible achievement when it comes to learning something and apply it right away as opposed to like, oh, I need to memorize certain things and see if I'm going to use it somewhere in the future. I would, I would maybe just add that in, uh, I mean, the, the, the method that was used to select the students was that we used AP Physics students for the environmental team, the electronics team, and the physics team. Um, and that wasn't by accident. That was because we could project into the future what skills and, and theory would be needed and that they had seen those at, at a level that would be commensurate for a project like this that would make, that would decrease the risks of failure and increase the risks of success. Um, but in terms of like being the future of learning, uh, I would caution against that because you do need, I think you do need that theory and that uh, background um, in the classroom to then, as Rodrigo pointed out, is, um, is to go to the application the, the next level of it and rather than trying to jump right to the application without any background behind it I don't think that would really greatly increase the risk of failure uh, for the project which you know that's the way projects work that's an experiment the whole project itself was an experiment I think what Mr. Bramble just talked about like reminds me of like my first year of physics with you where, like we had like you know the ball rolling down like the hill and, like you know what's going to happen like out of common sense but like you don't know any of the theory behind it like it's really important to know the theory of like why it's happening especially with like a, a project like in your space we all know that if we put like a balloon with helium in a capsule it's like gonna exert a lift force but like in a project like this you need like numbers like how much lift force how much is it going to go up is the balloon going to pop and that's where like the theory and the uh, like the knowledge comes from the classroom like you can apply it you guys are killing my belief in magic. This is like, it's... Physics tends to do that, yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> no, it's really interesting what you guys are saying, because right now, even at our own school, there's a lot of talk of uh, switching how, like, school is delivered and, and project-based learning, which is not new. It's been around for 70 years, but I, I think you guys are hitting a really important point of, like, even things like math. People are trying to figure out, well, how do we do math and project-based learning? Well, 
you still need to teach math. Like you still need the fundamental basics, and then somehow you apply it to a project, which is then adds value. So that's I'm I'm really glad you guys are you're you're talking about that. The other thing is we always talk about this in in a lot of our podcasts. We always like to ask what are the biggest challenges or roadblocks that you hit, um, if you can remember. I know it's a while back, but um, can you think back to some points where you're like, I think it's time to give up or throw in the towel or. What are some things that were really challenged you in the project? That was project? not an option. <laughs> <laughs> Did you comment that? Challenges. I think with environmental, our main challenge was getting the sensors, like working with electronics to get the sensors to work, because we had a lot of trouble with taking into consideration the temperature and the pressure. And I think that we had we tested a lot of different sensors and we kept changing sensors, so that was a little bit of a roadblock where we had a sensor that worked, but then it maybe it wasn't as efficient as we wanted to, or maybe in the temperatures that we were looking at, the sensor didn't work, and I think that was one of our main challenges. I think um, for Paola and I also a challenge was um, we were really excited about this experiment that we wanted to do. It was like we wanted to measure ozone levels with diodes, which are um, using LED lights and yeah and we were doing like we did this entire thing we wanted to like take a logarithmic curve and like measure how much ozone there was and well it didn't end up working because we couldn't figure out the code for it to work so um, we had to like scrap that entire experiment and just well another program that we thought of implementing in environmental was if I remember right, it was like to send some seeds into space to see like how they would germinate differently after having gone through that trip. But uh, we decided not to implement that because it would just would be uh, extra hard weight. to measure, extra weights, hard mm-hmm. to measure, and yeah, very not rather complicated. What, what sparked that idea? I'm just curious. I mean, it's a very interesting th- idea, but oh. do you remember why? I was, I was <laughs> I was currently taking AP Biology and we did a lab on germinating seeds and I was just wondering if the like conditions of near space would actually impact the way that seeds germinate and in which way it would impact them. But I think that in the end it got a little bit too complicated to measure exactly what factor and if it could be done. So we had to scrap it as well. Well, anything from that led to a lot of experiments. Like, <laughs> yes. They looked at a lot of different things, and that was part of the experiment in the program was was to okay, what can we measure, and what can we get done, and what can we done get done in this time frame? I mean, our our original time frame, if everybody remembers, was November. November. <laughs> <laughs> we launched in May. <laughs> oh. Now we built a much much more complex system than even myself and Kiko had imagined. Um, and it was far, uh, it, you know, kind of blew me away in many aspects of what, what you guys did accomplish. But, you know, that was a decision that happened along the way that we were going to launch in November. We thought we could get this done. And, and well, you know, that's, that was just par for the course that it took twice as long yeah. to get it done. I think taking Mr. B's point further, the fact that it took so long was also tolling on, like, the energy and keeping the motivation going for the project. At the end, we had trouble, like, everybody going, and even the fact that it's after school, then, I mean, you're exhausted, your brain's been fried already for the whole morning, and then you're asking a lot afterwards, too. And at least on the electronic side, you had to decide how fundamental you wanted to go, so how much of it do you want to do yourself? Because you can always buy, 
uh, like a GPS module that go, will go directly to your phone, you can buy, uh, put your cell phone in there and have it transmit data. I mean, there are many things that you can do to get around the problems that you want to solve, but then you have to balance that with like the idea of the project that it's, we want to learn from this. So going, how deep do you want to go with the fundamentals of electronics and programming? We had a mentor, uh, Kiko, who he wanted to, at times to explain things that were, I thought, out of our league. And it made it really draining to see like, oh, I mean, I have to learn all this theory in order to build this simple thing. And it's, so it's kind of a, a balance of both. So whereas you could uh, just want to, so whereas you could just buy the component rather than design or buy the program rather than design it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we had that option at the beginning. We had a flight computer and yeah. other components and and a parachute. <laughs> yeah. And they scrapped all of those things. There's I no bought learning them. and buying it. <laughs> so was, was there just a parachute or you guys like one? One. Um, because I'm in my well, mind, I measure one we bought and then one they made. So when you guys are testing like the capsule, are you using the actual things that weight that you're gonna put in, or then you just the same way, but with different objects, and then... <laughs> There's a fun story behind it. So, Wait, let's hear We had like our La Purisima capsule, which we were using as a test, and we just loaded it up with rocks to simulate like, the weight of like all the components. <laughs> all the can that go to Leave them alone with, on their own. Yeah, and we went to Rompepico's Dam, which is right near school, and we just like climbed up, and we threw it, and it just dropped like a rock. Like the parachute like didn't even like stop it from like falling. Like it was like basically near gravity acceleration. So like there was no lift, uh, like drag force from the parachute. And that's when like, well, we have a problem. So like, <laughs> I go to a Nuevo Mundo and I buy like some, yeah. And, uh, this is around Halloween and I buy uh, some like cloth to make the new parachute because we decided you know what we're gonna learn how to sew and we like uh, we spent like a week like looking so we need this area and we need this opening so like to make this parachute this size to like create this drag force and I went to a normal and I bought some cloth and it was just like transparent like almost transparent like it was mesh yeah it was mesh and it was just useless <laughs> and everybody got a good laugh because they said I could use it for my Halloween costume <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to turn it into a pumpkin it was orange yeah and then there's the window or the, the uh -huh. <laughs> I was looking for my phone and uh -huh. the picture of the window and then there was another time like with the new parachute once we like made it where we again grabbed the capsule loaded it up with like some simulated weight and we threw it off Las Tequitas campus, like some of those stairways. And our parachute now worked so well that like the drag force it created, like bounced it back and it broke a window. Yeah. <laughs> At he the said, elementary school. He, yeah. he oh. said that they threw it off. They didn't throw it off, they dropped it. And the physics was exactly right of it rotated into the window. Yep. <laughs> so who's, in, who's responsible for that? We blame Adrian Barreda. <laughs> <laughs> the scapegoat of the team. Always get wine. Um, I, um, thank you so much for sharing all these stories. I guess uh, in the same sense of the challenges is for me interesting if you want to pass out. What would you say is that the thing that you got out of it the most? Is it something of a check mark list? It's like, oh, I'm done with this or, or, or this is bringing you to reevaluate all the 
knowledge that you have in other applications? I think certainly it gives you perspective on, I mean, when you're walking around and you've done that, you see things, and you apply concepts that were only theoretical in nature, but then you see how they can be applied to things around you, so you start, I mean, it might sound exaggerating, but you do start seeing the, the world differently through the lens of what you've learned and how that works in the world, not just in the classroom, but like uh, what drag is or what uh, lift is and mm -hmm. how that makes uh, planes work, how that makes, I mean, the world kind of go around. Yeah, and that perspective is especially easy for this kind of project because it's like physical world applications, it's like a physical world thing. So you, you definitely, and that happens with just like a physics course, like uh, you learn that like um, uh, centripetal force when like you're going like banked curves and like you're, you're thinking about all these physical things that are happening and we don't even notice it. Uh, so yes, it definitely does give you a new perspective. But I think it's also like project wise, I think we've, I don't think any of us have ever done anything this big. And it was like a really nice learning experience, like project management wise, like it's really hard to like get yourself to work with like the deadline so far away but then as you start working you realize that like the deadline isn't really that far away you need to do a lot of things really quick so like managing that because i mean i've taken physics courses and it was something that i really really enjoyed actually learning about physics but then getting to do it in re like in real life and getting to experience um what it would be like also if I were to do that, like if I were to dedicate my life to that, actually helped me a lot. Um, because, yeah, I ended up making big decisions, I think, in 11th grade regarding what I wanted to study. So, yeah. Yeah, she dropped out of my class halfway through. <laughs> that was a big yeah. decision. Yeah, very big decision. Still, still a star in the environment. I, I'm not ready to give up <laughs> magic just yet. I mean, these powers you talked about sound very convincing. Something that you said uh, sparked a little thought in my mind. Like, uh, you guys talked a lot of the like technical aspects, but something you mentioned was like project management and meeting deadlines, and I, like those are like the soft skills in school that I feel we may overlook, especially when it comes to like success later on in life, whether it's university or past. But I, I don't know what like can you comment more on those on the on that, that? like the like working as a team and just those things that you we forget about and that are actual skills that maybe need introduced them to Gantt charts which are engineering charts for calendaring out different specific tasks along them uh, and how much time we think it'll take to get there and so on and Paolo Giselle ahead of our physics team she was in charge of keeping everybody kind of on track like as, as far as teams on track and things like that deadlines yeah. okay yeah, because everybody had to coordinate. If they, if environmental wanted to do something and electronics couldn't do it, um, well then it ended. Or if electronics said, "Yeah, we can do it," and then physics says it's going to be too heavy, it ended. Like it was, everybody had to communicate and work together, and so communication was big. And I definitely do feel that I've also learned about the soft skills and applied them uh, specifically in my coursework this year because both Paula and I are taking AB seminar right now, which is the precursor class to AB research and uh, all the soft skills and like really getting into, um, again, a 2,000 word paper doing a month and a half doesn't sound that much until you actually get to it and 
getting the habit of going right into it from the start and more or less like being able to pace ourselves and collaborate with other members of the team, that was very definitely helpful and uh, yeah. I was going to mention one thing for your listeners about the Nearspace. The Nearspace program, what I learned about it was how flexible it can be. You can, as uh, Rodrigo pointed out, you can buy off-the-shelf equipment, put it in a into a corn holding um, console <laughs> cooler <laughs> um, and uh, attach a you know a weather balloon to it and off it goes and and that can be you know an elementary style near space program where you can go as far as these guys did and produce like a professional level quality um, you know scientific experiment it, and anywhere in between that you can make all of those decisions and there's decision trees and we talked a lot well myself and Kiko talked a lot with the students about what those decisions and how those decisions get made um, so any school can produce a near space program it's just what level do they want to produce it at thank you very much I think yeah that's much all for taking your questions. time yeah um, to be honest like I thought that whole experiment with the rocks was going to be a much different story it wasn't that bad I was <laughs> expecting like rock for your life the rocks are the rocks are falling You're right away <laughs> <laughs>So there you have it, a beautiful example of STEM education. Um, I think, too, just the, hearing the students talk about how they're applying the theory they learn in class to a, a real project-based experience, sending something to space. How empowered they all see, but uh, they sound. And it's because of that. They took something from their classroom. They took it beyond their bell. And now, from what we heard, they're applying it for different classes, they're applying it in their own life. They, they, they gain this confidence through knowledge and they're putting it to practice in everyday life. I think something else worth pointing out, I found it very interesting too that, you know, in the Near Space program, there are no standards and there's no grades, but you can really tell in the students' voices and their stories that a lot of learning is, is happening. But at the same time, I think the students agree that, uh, you know, without that background in their pre-AP and their AP physics classes, that the near space program wouldn't be as interesting or rich. So I, I think that's something to keep in mind when we approach, you know, project-based learning. And um, what about you listeners? Do you know enough to send a capsule up there? Or, you know, if you don't, you can write us and let us know how can we help. Or if you are already doing it, why don't you share your stories with us as well? Thanks for listening. See you next time.